Good morning. It's nice to have you guys join us online again today for our message. We are in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And within that series, we're doing a mini series on the Beatitudes. So with that being said today, we're just going to jump right into our scripture passage found in Matthew chapter 5. We've been reading verses 1 to 12 each week, um, the whole portion on the Beatitudes. And I hope you've done your homework. I hope that you have all read from Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 this week and are allowing God to seep that scripture into your heart and to really uh, help you to uh, fully understand and digest what, what it is that we're learning. With that being said, let's look at our, our scripture passage, Matthew 5 verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now today we continue our series on the Beatitudes, and in this sixth beatitude, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. He's not talking about a physical heart free of defects um, caused by excessive cholesterol or saturated fat or sodium. No, having a pure heart is one of the eight qualities of citizens of the kingdom of God that Jesus declared in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. So let's take a look this morning um, by looking at the promise of this portion of the Beatitude. So normally we look at the, the Beatitude first, what attitude we should have, and then we look at the promise. But today I want to start by looking at the promise first. So what is the blessing for the pure in heart? Well, it says they will see God. Who here today doesn't want to see God? How many of you at home watching this don't want to see God? Well, Jesus says that you can. Each of the Beatitudes are pretty straightforward about a, a blessing being promised um, that we can receive. So um, basically, as the qualities and the characteristics of God are developed in our lives, Jesus promises that a blessing will follow. Now, what do the poor in spirit receive? They receive the kingdom of God. Those who mourn, they will be comforted. Jesus says for the meek that they will receive what no one in the world can take away and the meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says he will fill them. And the merciful, which we studied last week, will receive mercy. Likewise, the pure in heart are also given a promise and that promise is that they will see God. I don't have much trouble understanding that. Um, I don't know if you struggle with that. It's pretty simple, uh, simple enough even for a child to understand. Do this and receive that. If you do this, you will get that. Now with my son Noah, 
This is very important, this lesson. If he wants his friends to come over, he knows that he needs to clean his bedroom and his bathroom. Do this, get that, right? He knows that if he wants money to buy stuff, he needs to work for it. Do this, get that. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 in the message translation says this, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. The NIV translates it like this. Now we only see through a poor reflection in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Jesus said that the pure in heart will see God, and that is a beautiful promise. But the promise has a condition. In order to receive the promise, we have to meet the qualifications. Like with my son Noah, before he gets that, he has to do this. Our struggle is to understand the condition. What is the condition in order for us to get that blessed promise? What, did, what does Jesus mean when he says we have to be pure in heart? Well, I want to receive the promise, as I'm sure all of you do. So if we're going to see God, we have to become pure in heart. If we're going to receive the promise, we have to understand that condition. Um, and that condition is the condition of our heart. And that is critical. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. The King James version of that verse says, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are all the issues of life. I really like that translation. The heart is the stuff of life. The heart is the essence of life, the center of your emotions and your feelings. Your brain makes up about 2% of your body weight, but it uses about 25% of the oxygen within your body. So why does your brain require one-fourth of, of your body's entire oxygen? Well, because it's always active. It's always going, even when you're sleeping. In addition to controlling the function of your body, the brain cells, the nerve fibers, they're all continuously interacting with each other. This interaction within our brain is what becomes our mind, our conscious, our subconscious thoughts. The activity of our brain holds our memories and stimulates our dreams, our hopes, and our aspirations. It is who we are. The brain's activity feels emotions and it causes our body to respond to those emotions. With our mind, we perceive thought, we reason, we learn. With the electrical and chemical activity taking place in our brains, we make both simple and very complex choices in life. So we need to guard our hearts. We need to keep them with all diligence because it affects everything that we do in life. The stuff of life flows from our heart. With that being said, let's take a closer look at what the pure in heart means. What does that mean? So if asked what the pure in heart means, a lot of people would probably say that the pure in heart are free from sin. They are, they're unstained by sin. Or put simply, the pure in heart are unpolluted. They have clean living. Well, the Full Life Study Bible says, the pure in heart are those who have been delivered from sin's power by God's grace 
and now strive without deceit to please and glorify God and to be like him. Yes, the poor in spirit are free from the power of sin, but it also means something more because throughout the Beatitudes, sin is dealt with right from the start. I want you to notice the progression of the Beatitudes and in how sin is dealt with. First, the poor in spirit, they have to die to self, right? They have to um, become broken, humble before God and completely dependent on God. The sin of selfish pride is torn down as we acknowledge our deep need for God. Second, those who mourn, they align their hearts with God and they grieve over sin. Not just their own personal sin, but the sin of other believers and within society, um, really the whole world. And sin simply breaks our heart. We mourn over it. And then we come to the meek. And the meek, they surrender their strength to God. They, it, this does not mean that they are, are weak. It means that they are strong, but they surrender that strength to God. We choose to submit to God's discipline and live Christ-centered lives instead of uh, according to our sinful desires. Fourth, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they have been declared righteous by God. And the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit is at work in their life, setting them free from the power of sin. God equips and empowers us to live victorious over sin. And then the merciful have an unfailing love for God. Without love, our lives are empty and meaningless. That love from God has become our motive for everything. And out of that love that God has shed for us, we love others. So why would we choose to turn back on God and return to a life of sin? So I hope you're getting the idea of being pure in heart means more than just clean living because all of these other five beatitudes uh, are really about clean living. So could it be that pure in heart means something more than clean living? Well, I'm glad you asked because yes, it does. The word pure is translated from the Greek word katharos, and katharos literally means free from dirt or unsoiled. It's also used to imply no impurity, such as pure water or pure gold. As such, katharos also means genuine, and I like that, genuine, as opposed to false, being a genuine Christian. The pure in heart are genuine. The genuine are authentic, they are real, they aren't counterfeit, they aren't hypocritical. The pure in heart have no impurity or, or they're not mixed with the things of the world. A genuine heart is a pure heart. Psalm 86 11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Is your prayer for God to give you an undivided heart? A heart with a singular passion, a pure heart. Let God make your heart genuine. How significant is Christ to your identity? Is he everything to you or is he just an add-on? Think about getting a new car. You know what kind of car you want. There's a base price, right? There's a base price for that vehicle, but you can have add-ons. And the more you add on to that vehicle, the more expensive the price of the car is. So what is Jesus in your life? Is he the car? Is he the whole, I mean, is he the thing? Or is he just an add-on? Is Christianity just another tag or add in your life? 
Are you a Christian only when it's to your advantage or politically correct? Or is your Christian faith central to your identity? Does being a Christian influence everything else you do? Is your Christian faith central to your identity or just a side note? By the way, I'm a Christian. Is your Christian faith key? The Beatitudes are building blocks to Jesus, to be like Jesus. And as believers, we should have Christ-like lifestyles consistent with our faith. We shouldn't put Jesus on like an act, right? I'm putting Jesus on today because I'm going to church. No, with God's help, we should be like Jesus 24-7. The pure in heart are genuine. The pure in heart don't compromise or live like a hypocrite like the Pharisees. Let's be real. Let's be real Christians. With that being said, let's look at how to become pure in heart. How do we do that in our lives? What does it take to become genuine, to have an undivided heart? How can we be pure in heart? Well, step one, understand that God knows your heart. He knows your heart. The real condition of your heart cannot be hidden from God. Psalm 44, 21 in the message says this, wouldn't God have figured this out? We can't hide things from him. The NIV says he knows the secrets of your heart. He knows the secrets of the heart. Your life is an open book to God. Nothing is out of sight from him. For some of you, that's comforting. And for others, it's terrifying. God not only sees what you do, but he knows your motive behind it. He knows the reason why you do and say the things you do and say. First Chronicles 28, 9 in the message says, God examines every heart and sees through every motive. As long as you think that you can hide from God, your heart will remain impure. It will not be genuine. A divided heart not only tries to deceive others, but even more so, an unclean, divided heart deceives self. An impure heart is blind to its own hypocrisy and double-mindedness. Jesus called the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, blind guides. In Matthew 23, 16 and verse 24, these religious leaders believed that they were living these righteous lives that were pleasing to God. But Jesus saw their hearts and they, he saw that their hearts were full of sin. They may have been cleaning themselves up on the outside, but the inside was filthy. Instead of having pure hearts, their hearts were filthy and stained by sin. Matthew 23, 25 to 26 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. So the first step to coming clean with God is to realize that he already knows your heart. He knows just how dirty we are inside and we will not surprise him. Second, ask God to give you a new heart. Receive by faith the cleansing that comes only from God. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we can have clean hearts. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, had rebelled and turned away from the Lord. And God punished their sin and sent the nation into exile for a time. However, 
Even before the people asked God to forgive their sins, God made it known that he was willing and able to transform their hearts. Listen to what Ezekiel eleven nineteen says. God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. God will give you a new heart. He is willing and able. He will bring about a transformation in your life, a pure heart in exchange for a sinful one. That's a great deal. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. God will not turn you away or ignore you. God wants to restore a relationship with you. Jesus died to allow his blood to be poured out into our lives so that our hearts could be made pure. Step three, accept trials and hardships as God's cleansing fire. Let God turn up the heat. Let him expose the impurities in your life and cleanse your heart. Fire is used to burn away the impurities within precious metals. Gold or silver is only pure after fire has been applied to the ore. The fire separates the precious from the dirt. God will purify your heart just as the goldsmith or the silversmith purifies precious metal. The Bible says the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. God accepts you just the way that you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. God wants you to be like Jesus. Therefore, he purifies our hearts in the fiery furnace of trials. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What difficulty or hardship are you going through right now? You may want to run from the fire, but God will follow you wherever you go. He will not leave you the way that you are. He will not abandon the work that he has started in you. He will see it through to completion. God wants to make you like Jesus. Step four, live your life with a pure heart. Take the necessary action so you live a holy life like Jesus. Don't let yourself become a passive bystander. Cooperate with God in the work that he's doing. It's time to take action. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Some things in life we need to run away from. It's not enough to just say no. We have to run away. And as we run away from sin and our evil desires, we should be running towards God. Pursue God with all your heart. Don't be ashamed to be known as a Christian. 
Step five, keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a lot of things that will try to take our focus away. Don't lose sight of your goal. The pure in heart will see God. First John 3, 2 to 3 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. With a goal in sight, we're willing to endure just about everything. The bride and groom-to-be are willing to go through all the hassle associated with planning a wedding because the goal is set before them, a lifelong marriage. A college student will endure all the long nights of study for an exam or early classes because they have a goal set before them. Pursue the goal. Do whatever it takes to follow Jesus, to see Jesus in the end. I want to close today with a story. This is from Max Lucado's book, The Applause of Heaven. And I enjoy reading his stories. Sometimes he has a way of just really driving home a point. He gives an illustration that cements Jesus' point that the only way to change your life is to change your heart. At one time, Max and his family lived in Rio de Janeiro. They were working as missionaries. And once when they were leaving on a week-long trip, Max remembered that he had forgotten to unplug his ham radio. So he dashed back inside the house and he pulled the plug um, and dashed back out. Unfortunately, he pulled the wrong plug. The radio sat on the freezer, which had been newly stocked with meat and was now unplugged. And to make matters worse, they were gone for seven days. And it was summer in Brazil, which Max says redefines hot. When they got home, Max's wife, Denalyn, decided to get some meat out of the freezer. And Max said it was a moving experience. Since it was Max who unplugged the freezer, it was also Max who got to clean the freezer. With tongue in cheek, this is what he writes. What is the best way to clean out a rotten interior? I know exactly what to do. I got a rag and a bucket of soapy water and I began cleaning the outside of the appliance. I was sure the door would disappear as I, I was sure, <coughs> I was sure the odor would disappear as I buffed and wiped and polished the exterior of the appliance. But when I opened the door, the smell was revolting. No problem, I thought, I know what to do. This freezer needs some friends. I'd stink too if I had the social life of a machine in a utility room. So I threw a party. I invited all the appliances from the neighborhood. Everyone played pin in the socket and had a few laughs about limited warranties. I was sure the social interactions would cure the inside of the freezer. But when I opened it up, the stink was even worse. I had an idea. If the polished job and a social life wouldn't help, I'd give the freezer some status. So I bought a Mercedes sticker and I stuck it on the door. I installed a cell phone on the side and I opened the door, still repulsive. I could think of only one other option, pure pleasure. So I bought copies of Play Fridge, the publication that displays freezers with their doors open. I rented some Foxy films, my favorite was The Big Chill. 
And after a few days of supercharged after hours entertainment, I opened the door and I nearly got sick. Max concludes, I know what you're thinking. The only thing worse than Max's humor is his common sense. Who would concentrate on the outside when the problem is on the inside? Really? Want to know? A housewife battles with depression. What is the solution offered by a close friend? Buy a new dress. Go shopping. Get a job. Get out of the house. A husband is involved in an affair that brings him as much guilt as it does adventure. The solution? Just change your peer group. Hang out with people who don't make you feel guilty about what you're doing. A person is plagued by insecurity and restlessness. The answer? A hunting trip. A vacation. Maybe a change of lifestyle. A new look. A new car. Flash some cash. That will give you the lift that you need. Case after case of treating the outside while ignoring the inside. And the result? Oh, the depression. The guilt, the insecurity leaves for maybe a day, maybe a week, but it always returns and usually it's worse. The outside is altered, the inside has faltered. The real and lasting answer, true happiness comes from the inside out. Why? Because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's all about the inside not the outside. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you have spoken to us through your word. We just pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be pure in heart, that you would help us to seek our ways, see if there's any wickedness in us, and to leave that wickedness at your footstool, to receive your cleansing, Father God, I pray that we would be genuine Christians, the same on the inside as we are on the outside. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness to each one of us. Be with us now as we go about our day and help us to be a blessing and an encouragement to someone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. Be good.